Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bercher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This is episode 124. Are all leaders narcissists? There's a lot in there. And the reason I posit this question is because, well, I'm sick of narcissists and I'm sort of sick of leadership uh, or the, the idea, the way that we use it in our vernacular. You know, it's funny. It's like, um, I love kids and I love families, but I don't like other parents. And I like sports, but I don't like sports fans. You know, uh, and I like going to concerts, but I don't like fanatical uh, people at the concerts. You know, it's, I don't know what it is about, you know, things reaching some critical mass and then it's like everybody just loses their sensibility or their, you know, it's like, it's like, for example, you know this, you know this situation where you know someone who's pretty cool. They're nice. You get along one-on-one. It's like your buddies, your friends, you're, you're empathetic. You appreciate one another. And then you see this person in a group setting, like at work or at a party or um, somewhere where there's multiple people and their personality changes. You know, what is up with that? You know, at some level, that's probably like our little neuroses, you know, our own little codependency, our own little sense of self-worth, our own little self-esteem, our own little, you know, fear of being seen and as, as the authentic people that we are and how we change when we're in a social setting or like when some critical mass of people comes around, whether it's a, a soccer game that your kids are at or a PTA meeting, uh, you know, you, you people, people shift, right? The, I, I don't think... I think it's a safe assumption or argument to say that there is this phenomenon where people's, you know, personalities change given the situation. And it's and it can be as, as, as simple as saying on a one-on-one relationship, they're going to be a little closer to who they really are. And then as they get into these group settings where the rules kind of change, maybe people change a little bit. And that's sort of what I'm talking about today. So hopefully that'll get you in the space. A couple of things here that... I despise, and let's. I guess I'll hit on leadership first. What the hell is leadership? I see this. I had to leave LinkedIn. I thought LinkedIn was kind of going to be an interesting place, and I might be able to network with people that think like me that are going to be strewn all around the globe. And you know, all it's like most social media, but LinkedIn is really bad about this leadership thing. It's like leadership was the currency with which you could measure your value as a human being. The closer you were to leadership, the more traits you had that were related to leadership, the more you could pursue leadership than your, you know, that was value. That's like predictive of your success or something. And and, and I'm just like, what the hell are they talking about? And then sort of, uh, you know, the the influx of of people helping you become a better leader under the auspices of that being... Uh, a pathway towards your own personal success. Like the closer you could get to leadership, the, the the more hireable you would be, and the more rich you would be. And I don't know. And 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 a very simple terms, the idea of leadership was weird to me because it's a numbers game. Like why would you, if you had something to sell, why would you want to sell it to the leaders? Because they're far fewer than the followers, right? And this whole leadership followers thing gets a little bit at what I was talking about before, like what makes a person a leader and what makes a person a follower? And and when do you decide when this happens? At birth? Is this like the caste system where you're handed some gold, silver spoon uh, after you're born on third base thinking you hit a triple uh, and uh, you're a leader? 
and you're going to have all the success in life or, or whatever. Um, what's up with that? Uh, and so you know, for me, I remember as a kid, you know, I was told like, oh, you're a natural leader. And I don't, I, that sort of stops. It's funny how many things people will tell you when you're young, but then you, you pass like 25 and it's not remarkable anymore, right? Oh, wow, you're a really responsible 18-year-old. Oh, you're a good driver for an 18-year-old. You make good grades. You're, you know, you're independent. You know, all these things matter when you're young. And then all of a sudden you hit some age and it's like you're just expected. It's really hard to achieve a threshold of having a recognizable skill. In fact, I would argue that the only ones left after that are the these global value systems that seem to rise to the surface of money, power, and status. That's what you're going to be rewarded for as a, as an adult. Uh, whereas as a kid, you, you know, people recognize a lot of these interesting traits. So anyway, one of these things is a leadership. And I, and I always thought that that meant people seems to listen to me like, or, or a leader, they seem to listen to you. They seem to admire this person. They seem to, uh, see something in this person that they themselves don't have. I don't know. Why would it? Why would we not all start from this, this, this idea that we're all the same? You know, there's this equitable society within which we are all citizens and we are all, we are all co-responsible for things moving forward. At what point did it, you know, well, something shifted where we said, no, we need a representative we need someone to represent us because simply it's a numbers game, right? Okay, so it's a, it's another numbers game. When you had fifty people in a village, you know that's a society that can probably operate and function pretty normally with this equitable, equanimity sort of thing where everybody does everything and nobody's the leader. But as you got more and more people, you needed to send a representative. Well, we all can't physically get in the building, so why don't I talk to these thirty people and see what they want to do? Or you know, and within each one of those little groups you would pick. And and going back to sort of me as a kid, what I remember most about the leadership scenario was like in group projects in school or in school at the playground. You know, you could sort of tell who fell out of uh, listening to somebody else and somebody who um, would just talk a lot. And so <laughs> one of the first characteristics of a leader is somebody who talked a lot. I talk a lot. I talked a lot as a kid. That probably gave people the false impression that I was some kind of a leader. I, I don't know. Uh, but I certainly think that's kind of where it starts. And something that I'll hit on, and I think maybe I'm not ready to go there yet, is this idea of confidence. And so as we're growing up, if we're one of these people that tend to get listened to versus one of these people who tends to need to listen to somebody else, that's going to necessarily either build confidence or not. Right? Wouldn't you think that people who are told all the time that they're natural leaders, people whose ideas seem to be popular among the group, you know, this is all these are all things that encourage sort of this confidence. And in this case, it might be a false confidence because it comes down to sort of this relationship of leaders and followers, right? At some point, if there's too many people in the room, you're going to have to make a decision. And this going back to the group project thing in school, what I noticed was in, in, in college, there was basically two types of students, the ones who had to get A's all the time, and they studied all the time. They were very type A, and they were competitive, and their whole MO in life was scoring these grades on this paper. 
And so in a group project, their MO was, I want to get a good grade. And if we're going to get a good grade, it's going to be me that's going to drive this. And, you know, if you had a group of five people, sometimes there were two of those people, right? And they would sort of butt heads over who gets to be the leader. And I just always found it easier to be like, I'll, I'll get behind whatever the, the, the Democratic group consensus wants to do. Let's sit down and take five minutes, pick a leader, pick a plan, and then we'll move forward, and that'll get we'll get done quicker. <laughs> you know, that's like the path of least resistance. I don't care. And maybe some part of me wanted to be the leader because there is a because there is a connotation of value of rank of, of the caste system. Right, a leader is better than a follower. But in this case, I realized that getting this thing done, meeting our goal of completing the project by the deadline, and then potentially secondarily getting a good grade on it. In order to make that happen, we needed to move past the BS arguing over about who was going to be the leader because it had nothing to do with the project. So the quicker we got there, and if that meant me being a good follower, then so be it. I didn't care because I could see the prize, right? Or I knew, I understood. And and so that gets into... What I always saw in these situations was two people unable to release themselves from the leadership status because status and power and recognition. There was always that the professor's going to see me as a better person. I'm the type of person that's a leader. This, all, this, all this status wrapped around it that has nothing to do with the point, the goal, the definition of the role of leader, which is somebody that's supposed to speak for the people, represent the people. And, you know, I'm thinking of things like decision makers, politicians, you know, boards, uh, you know, the coach on a team. Somebody has to um, be the final decision maker. And in, in, in a really holistic, democratic, I guess, situation, this person has the only other the only thing differentiating a leader from the rest of them is they're the ones that speaks for the people. They listen to the people. The people tell them what to do, essentially. So in reality, a leader isn't all of the things that I talked about prior to this. They're just a spokesperson, right? Uh, now, I don't know. It depends. I, that, I guess there's several definitions in there. But I think what we think about in terms of leadership often is someone who has a higher capacity to get things done, make decisions, make things happen, do things, is smarter, better, bigger, stronger, faster, uh, more convincing, more charismatic. You know, it's, it's, it's a person within the masses of the society who somehow rises above the rest. And again, the qualities there are things like status, money, and power. It could be lots of other things. It could be I'm just, they're just a better speaker. You know, we always talk about our political figures and our presidents. And, you know, for me, it comes down to what's this person going to be like when they're talking to other countries? What's this person going to be like when he's talking to, you know, the leader of Germany? Uh, Or what's this person going to be like when they're talking to the leader of Japan? Or what's this person going to be like when they're talking to the leader of Vanuatu? Right? Are they, are they personable? Are they sensitive? Are they empathetic? Um, can they put themselves in the shoes of this other person? You know, can they, can they find the common ground? You know, that's, that's, that's a whole different measure than, you know, are they intimidating? Are they going to scare other people? Are they going to get their way? You know, so it depends on what you want, I guess. But I think that 
form, that latter thing, getting your way, forcing people to listen to you, being a bully, you know, that's not what a leader is to me. It's more of the representative that happens to be a good speaker and empathetic. You know, Mr. Rogers for president, right? And when you think about leaders, it's hard to come up with one that's like Mr. Rogers because it seems so many of us of the represented the represented do value things like toughness, bullying, and maybe even physical prowess as being elements of good leadership because that helps a person get their way. And that's a completely different thing, right? And so I don't have the perfect definition of leadership. All I want to demonstrate here is I think that the one that we tend to fall back on is weak at best, inaccurate, and potentially damaging uh, if you look at the way we select leaders. If we are choosing our leaders as people who have a lot of status, money, power, and then they make decisions that don't really represent us, but really further their personal status, money, and power, then haven't, I mean, hello, that's who we are picking <laughs> to be our leaders. So maybe it's time that we had this conversation. And so all of this to me points to all leaders are narcissists. Now, confidence is one thing. Now, I think that Confident people tend to be selected as natural leaders and seen as natural leaders because, you know, they're, 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 they understand what they think. Really, it's like a self-awareness thing. But then there's this, so that's one kind of confidence. Like, I love myself. I trust myself. I'm not afraid to speak my mind. But I'm also willing to listen. And like me in the school group project, I'm also willing to relinquish. I'm not attached to money, status, and power if the will of the people disagrees with me, I'm still willing to carry the message of the people forward. You know, that is a completely different thing that I don't know that we we see in the world anymore. You know, I, I think we see this in the elder chimps that don't have to fight anymore because they use their wisdom to manage people. They have a lot of empathy. They have great leadership characteristics. Maybe somebody like Jimmy Carter you know, maybe somebody like Mr. Rogers, if you've watched the Mr. Rogers documentary, a lot of the things that he did that were just good for people. And because he was in this position of power, of being the, the centerpiece, you know, he, he did some interesting things. Uh, so there's, but confidence is definitely a part of that. I think in the flip side of being underconfident you're too wishy-washy. You, you know, if you can't make a decision, if you can't tell me how you feel about something, if you don't have some, um, I don't know if self-love is the right word, some ability to sort of say, this is what I think, but I'm also open to what other people think and deliver that in a way with eye contact and, and good posture. Th- those sort of things I think are definitely elements of a good leader, but I think they're secondary elements. And again, I'm not trying to define this, but I am going to say that confidence is a part of it. Now, what I think we've done is we've looked at confidence as being the part of it, right? Confidence and self-worth, self-value is a slippery slope to narcissism. And I hate, as much as I hate the word leadership, which I just spent 16 minutes talking about, I hate the word narcissist. Because what everybody's a narcissist, right? If anything bad happens to you and you say, man, this guy cut me off in traffic, somebody else will say, well, they're a narcissist. You know, me personally, everybody, a therapist will tell me your ex-wife was a narcissist. It's like, you don't know her. I'm not defending her, but all you know is the stories I'm telling you about her. 
You know, maybe I'm creating these things, you know, maybe I'm a narcissist, maybe somebody who's sort of obsessed with personal growth and self-help isn't that self-centered. But, you know, I think what really identifies a narcissist, all that, you know, because let's say, let's just say everybody is one. And the, the difference is empathy. You know, do you have, do you listen to people and do you hear that information and then try to understand things from their perspective. If you can't do that, yeah, you're probably a narcissist. You're probably a psycho. Uh, but that's probably the key. But, you know, having confidence, even arrogance, and being assertive does not make you a narcissist. It's this it's this stepping on people to get what you want and the inability to understand that they're your equal and you're a part of this whole thing. You know, that's what really makes the difference. And I think what we've done is we've, we mistake narcissism for confidence. And we forget that empathy, confidence without empathy is narcissism. Confidence with empathy might make you a good leader. And we're just picking the wrong people. And part of the reason we pick the wrong people is one, our system is set up that not just anybody can even participate in the system. You know, older, overweight, white males, uh, I would argue, you know, have the best success and everybody else is a little bit uh, screwed depending on what kind of office you're running for, then the money part of it, you know, you really, you have to have more money than the next person. And so you have to have this machine behind you to be able to get elected. And so, you know, what, what sort of person says, I need a thousand dollars from you because I'm the best person, you know, a really, really, really confident person or narcissist. And so I see this being sort of this, I don't know if slippery slope fallacy is the right uh, thing, but I think there's this subset of confident people that are pretty narcissistic. And it seems to me that that's the type of person we end up choosing or that ends up in a position of power. And then once they're in that position of power, well, of course, it, it becomes a self-serving, you know, whether you're talking about a CEO of a company or, or an elected official or an appointed official, that becomes the game. And people that have even an inkling of the, the desire and craving for power or wealth status and money, you know, it's not too hard to see them getting sucked into that, right? So that's the, the case you hear a lot is like, well, they were a good guy, a good girl, and they got into politics and they just got sucked into it and the machine took them over. And I bet that happens a lot. I'm not trying to say that every single person who ever wants to participate in politics or government or the PTA for that matter is a narcissist. But I definitely think if you put people on a continuum, they're going to be at that confidence end of the spectrum. And then the system itself makes it incredibly difficult for them to resist the pull or for the flip side or to be successful. So if somebody is able to maintain their uh, confident empathy as a leader, they're just not going to get anything done. They're going to get walked all over. They're going to get shunned. They're not going to get support from the donors and all the other things that you have to do. And I've seen it happen at the local level. I've participated in local politics. I'm friends with people I've watched go through local politics, and I haven't seen it. <laughs> anything that disagrees with my thesis <laughs> that, you know, in order to succeed in local politics, you have to be or become narcissistic and represent um positions or movements or votes that are uh, wrong, or at least to disagree with your uh, constituents. You know, it becomes a, it becomes an internalized game. Um, 
more more than something that it wasn't supposed to be. It's not a representative democracy anymore. Again, whether this is a school project, um, who's making the decisions of what game you're going to play on the playground during recess, uh, you know, what food you're going to cater to the party at work, um, to whether or not you're going to pave the municipal parking lot, you know, at a local level to uh, whether or not abortion is going to be legal in your state. You know, these these are it's the same thing. And the system is screwed up because we do not understand what leadership is. Uh, we can't tell the difference between confidence and narcissism. And uh, maybe, you know, because of those two things, some percentage of us have just given up because I don't know how you win that fight. And again, I keep coming back to this. It's the same argument that I'm going to make is that, you know, our, our, our global values are disjunct and we sort of have this two extreme ends of rugged individualism. Give me mine. Um, and then this hippy dippy woo woo interconnected thing where everybody should have universal basic income or, or share the wealth or a more equanimous world kind of position. And until we can pick some subset of global values to represent as our initial filter of whether or not we should be doing anything, then we're, you know, we're just pinning the tail on the donkey. Uh, we're all running around blindfolded, uh, jabbing each other in the eyes <laughs> with thumbtacks. <laughs> uh, and I don't know how you get to that, but, you know, even in, even in these doomsday climate change how are we going to save the world things that i read lately i i, I want to scream to all the authors and the commenters you know to stop to see the forest for the trees you know look upstream and unfortunately upstream is these is this this value system and in, and until we can agree on the point of it all how are we going to agree on what a leadership is because if your point is to take over as many island nations as possible and steal all their coconuts, then you're going to elect the biggest, strongest, meanest, most arrogant, you know, narcissistic leader there is. Or if your goal is to figure out a way uh, to understand hurricanes better so that you might be able to protect everyone on all of these island nations, then you're going to pick somebody else. And, I, I, you know, in America anyway, it seems like we've got a good example of that going on right now. And I don't blame either side. Uh, I, I will disagree and align with one set of value systems more so than another. But, you know, I, and, 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 and using the example of the school project, I would rather participate in a true democratic society that disagrees with my fundamental beliefs if we have fairly and equitably put some time and energy into figuring out what those, what those high-level values and goals are. Even if they don't completely align with mine, I can get on board. What, what my problem now is that the, the, the spaghetti on the wall, pin the tail on the darky, donkey, blind clusterfuck you know, of cohesion that we lack. <laughs> there is none, you know? And when you have this many people on the world, in the world, you have to have representatives, and you and 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 there are the literal representatives. So there's going to be some subset of individual people that are going to make these decisions. But it's also the metaphorical representative. Like, what can we agree on that's important? And maybe we can get close to that. 
Um, but currently, I think when you have two op- opposing polarized value systems of give me mine, give me money, let me stockpile and hoard a bunch of crap because that's how I win the rat race MO. Uh, and all of the, the, God, that needs a whole discussion in and of itself. And then the whole, can't we all just get along <laughs> uh, pile that values more things like connectedness and peace and, you know, responsible use of natural resources and, you know, compromise and equality. And I, and I can't even talk about these things without showing you where my value system lies. Until we learn how to do that, I don't think we're going to be able to do any of these other things. And so, yeah, how do we pick our leaders? What makes a good leader? We have to understand that before we do anything else. Yeah. So I, st- I contend that at this point, all leaders are narcissists. And if they're not at the beginning, they certainly become one. And this has been Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, episode 124. All leaders are narcissists. I'm Chris Bercher. I'll see you next week. Take it easy.